We uh, finished up a series on um, scandalous love, talking about God's scandalous love, uh, but decided to continue on with it a little bit longer. This may or may not be the last message as we continue on with this series that's officially over. I don't know. The Spirit will move. But uh, starting last week, we took a look at, a new look at, the story of what is called the prodigal son. Terrible name for this parable because it's not really about the, the younger son at all. In fact, we'll see here this morning that the older son is more the focus of this, uh, this parable than the younger son. Um, but you've heard of brotherly love, and so I want to title this message, Brotherly Loathe, because this is the attitude that the elder brother has towards the younger brother. Last week, uh, we, we looked at the, the state of the younger brother, identified with that younger brother, comes and he asks, he wants his dad to be dead, wants his inheritance now, goes out and squanders it, ends up feeding pigs. And then finally comes back and receives the mercy of the father as he's reinstated automatically without groveling, without payment plan. Uh, he's reinstated a- into the position of son. Now we're going to look at the older brother, how he responds to that. But before we do that, I want to look at a few passages at the very beginning of this chapter, Luke 15. Because it sets the context for this whole parable, what I would call the parable of the, the two lost sons. It says this in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners... We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. What follows is the parable of the lost sheep, then the parable of the lost coin, and now the parable of the two lost sons. I just want us to notice that what gave Jesus occasion to give these parables was the murmuring the gossip of the Pharisees and the teachers about who Jesus was hanging out with. So these parables, all of them, are directed towards the Pharisees and the teachers, the religious folks. This is Jesus' way, this is God's way of sort of getting in their face. Now you need to understand that the Pharisees and the teachers, we sometimes, you know, looking back at it after Christ, we, we, we sort of vilify these folks, all these, the, the, the bad hypocrites. But we need to understand this in its original context. And these folks, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were the heroes of the day. They were the religious folks of the day. They were the guardians of truth and righteousness. Everyone looked up to them. They were the Bible-believing folks, the Orthodox folks. They were the evangelicals of the day. Uh, they're the ones who took the Bible seriously. And Jesus doesn't have any issue with what they believe. No, they, they believe all the right stuff. But what this parable, what all these parables are really directed against is the fact that they are confident that because of all their right stuff, they have a unique standing with God. And so this message applies to all who think that God saves them, loves them, that they're somehow special before God because of, now fill in the blank, because they're not immoral like other people or they believe all the right things as opposed to other people or whatever. If our confidence is in that at all, rather than simply in the loving grace and mercy of our Father, then this parable is directed towards us. The Pharisees and the teachers, they were the, the, the upstanding ones, the respectful ones, the evangelicals of the day. By contrast, the tax collectors... And, uh, and, and the, the, the sinners were at the other end of the social scale. They were the most judged groups. Tax collectors were the ones who ripped off their own people for the Roman government. They, they were despised. 
Sinners usually referred to people who were sexually immoral. The epitome of this group was the prostitutes, and in a lot of passages it mentions prostitutes specifically as the ones who hung out with Jesus. And not only did Jesus welcome them to come and sit at his feet and, and listen to him, but he partied with these folks, and he ate with these folks. And in the first century, to eat with somebody uh, was a way of saying, it wasn't just like a casual little dining thing, it was a way of saying, you're my people. You have fellowship with people. We are a tribe together. Uh, we are alike. So you can easily understand how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would be scandalized by Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. These are the people that the Pharisees and the, 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 the teachers of the law, they see these prostitutes and the tax collectors as the problem with society. These are the lowlifes. These are the perverts. These are the scum. These are the people who uh, have separated Israel from God. These are the ones that you blame when you want to explain why Israel is going through trials right now and why Rome has authority over Israel. These are the ones who destroy society. These are the ones who are destroying the family. Uh, the job of the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law is to take Israel back for God and to pass laws against these folks and to show forth their righteousness by, by judging harshly these folks and to clean up the land. And here Jesus comes. Supposed to be one of them, right? He's a rabbi, he's a teacher. Some say he's even the Messiah. And he's sitting down having dinner with these people and partying with them. You'd almost get the impression, wouldn't you, that he, he condones what they're doing. He doesn't go out of his way to point out their sin. The Pharisees would never get within a mile of these folks unless it was to point out their sin. The sin that they don't happen to have. But Jesus hangs out, has fun with these folks. Let's them listening to his teaching. And so they're murmuring against him. They're outraged. So Jesus tells these three parables against those folks, trying to wake them up, calling them to enter into a party, the party of the kingdom of God that can only be entered into for free. Now this parable of the two lost two sons is the third of these three parables. We dealt with the, the first lost son last week. He is the one who was obviously lost. He's the younger son. Now we're going to look at the older son. What we're going to see is that he's just as lost, if not more lost though he looks a whole lot better. So it says this in Luke 15, starting with verse 25. They've already done the, they're starting to party with a younger son, fatty calf, the music and all that. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back. He has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. The word can be translated enraged. And refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him in the field. The older brother answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat, let alone a fattened calf. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, look at that phrase, when that son of yours, no brother of mine, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. This isn't fair. My son, the father said, you are always with me, always, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad 
Because this brother of yours, this brother of yours, not just my son, he's your brother. He was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is now found. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to truth. Help us to receive your word deeply. Root out from our life any element that is Pharisee-like. Maybe, especially elements we don't know about. And free us to be a people who receive your grace, who live by grace, and who extend your grace to all people at all times in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So this uh, elder brother, he's in the field. Of course he's in the field. He's always in the field. He is diligent at working. That's what he does. He works. He's the obedient son, always obeying his father. He's out in the field. He hears the party and the dancing. He asks the servant what's going on. The servant says, ah, your brother is home, safe and sound, which is kind of good news. Even though the brother was stupid for sure and, and, and evil for wanting his father dead and all of that, you can understand why there'd be a little bit of anger on the part of the elder brother, but you might think he would be kind of happy because his, his, little, his little brother is safe and sound. He could have got killed. Uh, going out into the world as a young man with all that kind of wealth, man, you, you get robbed and killed for less than that. And so he's home, he's safe, he's sound. That's something to be happy about. But instead, this, this older brother, he's enraged. He's enraged, which already kind of tells you a little bit about his heart. A little bit about his attachment to his younger brother. It just isn't there. So he refuses to go in. He's going to boycott this unjust, unfair celebration. And we can kind of understand why he would think that way. I mean, he's probably thinking, why would you celebrate a son returning home when he should have never left in the first place? Why reward bad behavior? This guy brought shame on our family, shame to the father, wanted the father dead, squandered half the inheritance. Why would we celebrate that? And maybe he's thinking now that the son's back, the father's probably going to again divide up the inheritance between them. And now there's only half as much inheritance to go around. So he's going to get half of what he would have got if the son had never left in the first place. What's he got to rejoice about and celebrate about? Maybe we should throw the guy in prison or at least put him on a payment back program. So he's going to boycott this unjust, unfair celebration. Why reward bad behavior? If there's anyone to be rewarded here, it's me, he's thinking. I didn't leave home. I didn't insult my father. didn't bring shame on the family. I've had my hand to the plow since he left. And now there's more work to do because I've got to do it alone. No, I should be getting the reward instead of him. I'm not going to go to this unjust celebration. So the father goes out to him. And this is the father who's always going out. This is the same father who ran towards the younger son when he was coming home. This is, this is the God. He's the picture of God who doesn't wait for us to come to him. He goes to us. This is the same God who went out looking for the lost sheep, the same God who desperately looks for the lost coin, the same God who ran towards the younger son, the same God who now is going out to the older brother. This is, this is a portrait of God who is always working in everyone's heart at all times to get them to turn towards him insofar as it's possible given all the constraints of their culture and all of that. But Paul tells us in Acts 17, he's a God who's always at work. We're never far from him getting us to grope for him and possibly find him. He's a God who's always wooing us. He goes to the immoral and he goes to the moral. He goes to the irreligious and he goes to the religious. He goes to the younger brother, but he also goes to the older brother. It's just that the older brother, the religious brother, the moral brother, is a lot harder to reach, precisely because he's confident in his morality and his religion, his obedience, his good status as son because he works so hard. But the father goes out to him and says that the father pleads with him. 
The Greek word is parakleo. We get the word paraclete from it. Some of you will know that the, 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 one of the titles for the Holy Spirit is paraclete, comforter. The Father goes out. In this context, the word, it's a tender word. It means to implore. It's kind of a comfort, but it's an implore. It's, it, you're beseeching someone. You're almost begging someone. I picture the father going out and putting his arm around the older son, and he's, he's just pleading with him. Come to the celebration. This is, this is your brother. You're my son. We've got reason to celebrate. And he's pleading with him. This is the God who gently works in our hearts, pleading with us, wooing us. But he's not a coercive God. The father doesn't put a club to the son's head and says, get in there, I'll beat you. No, he... He, 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 he honors the integrity of the older brother's choice. doesn't coerce him. He just pleads with him. That's how God always operates. And that's why the, the same tender, loving, wooing heart of God can melt one person's heart, but it hardens another person's heart. And so the younger, the younger son, his heart would be melted as the father comes and showers grace on him. This older brother, however, becomes more and more enraged. The more the father pleads with him, he gets madder and madder. He gets embittered. Now he for sure won't go in to this party. I don't know if you can relate to that. I, I was thinking about that this week. Um, I turned 53 this week. Oh, I'm getting old, really old. <laughs> Clap up, I can't hear you. I, you know, <laughs> get a little older. But I was thinking about birthdays, I guess, because it was my birthday, and, and, uh, uh, and I, I, I thought back to my sixth birthday, 46 years ago. And I've thought about this birthday a couple times in my life. I can remember it very, very vividly. It was the worst birthday of my life. Um, and I don't know why, but I got into a foul mood, just a nasty mood. We were having a birthday party at someone's farm, and they were, we were celebrating two birthday parties, me and this other kid, and he owned the farm, so we're over there. And, and uh, uh, it was a big celebration. And for some reason, I just was pouting and miserable. And my dad said, you know, how's your birthday going? And I said, I like last year's birthday a whole lot better. <laughs> and dad goes, why? And I said, because I, last, last year I got a jackknife or I forget, something like that. And this year I only got this. And I was just a little miserable little brat. And my dad said, I'm sorry to hear that. Every birthday should be your best birthday. I'm like, why? <laughs> the last birthday was way better than this one. But he, he was mad at me for being such a sourpuss on my, on my birthday. Uh, and, then, and then the worst part was that we had this hayride. And I, I was jealous or mad at something, some injustice being done to me, you know. And I, I wouldn't go on this hayride. I'm going to show everybody that, you know, this is unfair. So I'm not going to go on this hayride. And this was the highlight of the whole birthday party. They're going to take a hayride on this wagon out to see all these different farm animals. And we get to pet them. And I wanted to go so bad, but I wouldn't. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to show everyone how unjust they're treating me or who knows. And so I was just, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. You're stupid. You're right. This, this, this young girl who I thought was really cute, her name was Amy, came over and, 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 and she was pleading with me with her cute little wavy hair. And she's like, go ahead, come on, it's your birthday. We wanna, you know. And I was, no, I don't want to go on your stupid birthday party. No. But I wanted to go so bad. I, I was stuck in this emotion. You ever got there where you just cannot get your... I was trapped in this, this, this rebellion. I'm not going to submit. And so they, they, the, the, the hayride departs, and they're laughing. And I, it's like, how dare they have fun without me? It's my birthday. It's my birthday, and I can cry if I want to. Cry if I want to. Cry. You would cry, too, if it happened to you. Don't know where that... I, Welcome to another ADD moment by Pastor Boyd. I will be my last. 
Well, you know, you see, that I think is a good metaphor for hell, really. C.S. Lewis said that if hell is locked, it's locked from the inside. It's not that there's a lock on the outside of hell that God locks. No, no, but we lock it from the inside. We get locked into our rebellion, locked into our stance, our bitterness. And, and we just hold on to it out of sheer pride. It's interesting that in, in the book of Revelation, the, the, the gates of the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, they're always open. The invitation's always there. The question is, will we go in or not? And what locks us out is ourselves, our heart. This is the tragic dimension of the gospel. This parable ends with the brother still out in the field. The party goes on, but he's out there scowl-faced. He's going to boycott the whole thing. People have the right to boycott heaven. They do. Um, and, and it, it's, it, but it's not because God's barring them. It's because we lock ourselves out. And then we come to what is really the, the, the revelation of the heart of this elder brother. He says this, All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed a thing you've said. I've never disobeyed a single order. And that tells us a whole lot about this young man's view of the world and view of himself and view of his father. He really doesn't have a father-son relationship with his father. He doesn't love his father for free. He sees his father as a slave owner and he's the slave. He's a taskmaster and, and, and the, his job, the son's job, is to carry out the task, is to obey orders. That's all this is. He sees his relationship with the father as a sort of a contract, a quid pro quo arrangement. I'll do this and in exchange I'll get this contract. He's got a contract worldview. As we've said throughout this series, this contract worldview is where you view everything in the categories of justice that is where you're the center. It's a world of fairness. Everything's about a deal, making a deal. You, you've, you divide the world up in right and wrong, and the criteria is how it benefits you. He sees the world in terms of fairness. Everything's in terms of reward and punishments. He's working, he's slaving for the slave master to get an inheritance. That's his whole view of the relationship, his whole view of the world. So it's small wonder then that he, he's boycotting this party because this party is unjust. If his grid is reward and punishment, then the fact that the son, the younger son, is getting a fatted calf would mean, oh, he's getting rewarded. But why would you reward such terrible behavior? No, the reward should go to me. And so he's miserable and he won't attend an unjust party. All of us, to the extent that we are locked into this contract worldview. It goes back to the original sin of the Bible, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We talked about that earlier. And we all struggle with this to some degree. And to the degree that we haven't outgrown it, we're to be pitied. Because it makes us miserable. If you're looking at the world in terms of fairness, and, and it's centered on you, you will be to some degree miserable because, guess what? Your mother was right. The world is unfair. It, 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 we live in a war zone. It's not fair. Stuff happens to us, said to us, that, that isn't just. And so to the extent that we live in this worldview, we are the victim. We're treated unfairly. Things we deserve, we don't get. Other people who don't deserve them, they get, they, they get it. And we're miserable. We get people who are stuck in this worldview. They're mad at their parents, perhaps, because their parents didn't raise them right, and they deserve better parents. Or they're mad at their boss, because the boss doesn't treat them right. Or they're mad at people in society, because people have done them wrong, and people in their past, and people in their present. They're mad at society, because society doesn't run right. If they're liberal, they're mad at the conservatives, because the conservatives are stupid. And if they're conservative, they're mad at the liberals, because the liberals are evil. Want to see a good example of this? Spend one hour watching MSNBC and then spend the next hour watching Fox and look at them go at each other. Bitter, bitter, bitter. Oh, they're stupid. No, they're stupid. No, they're evil. No, they're evil. We care more. No, we care more. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And we get sucked into it. 
The world's not fair. You're mad at the Muslims because they're trying to take over the world. You're mad at the immigrants coming into America. You're mad at the rich for being oppressively rich or the poor because they're not working hard enough. You're mad. It goes, whatever, whatever you want to hang your hat of bitterness on, there's a peg to hang it on. A lot of people just are scowly faced. And then when you add religion to this, this becomes positively dangerous. Because with religion now, you bring God into the mix. And guess what? If you're looking at the world through a self-centered grid of the contract worldview, it always happens that God agrees with you. How wonderful. You just are that one person who's smart enough and moral enough for God to always agree with. Lucky you. So God loves those who you love and God hates those who you hate. This is what makes religion a dangerous thing. God hates those who you hate. God's for your agendas and God's against all the agendas that aren't your agendas. It's a very small step to thinking, well, you know what? God wants dead whoever I wish was dead. And the next move is, oh, God wants me to kill who I want to kill. And boom, we got religion and the damage that religion does. And, and that's why, you know, when, when Christopher Hitchens and, and, and these other atheists come out with these books and say that religion is dangerous, and the Christians get all their feathers up, ruffled and, and mad, you know what? We don't applaud. They're right. Look at the history of it. You can't deny that. The religions are dangerous stuff because we bring God into our knowledge of good and evil world that we shouldn't have been living in anyways and we invite him into our bitterness and now all we do is we give divine authority to what we would have believed anyways and a divine okay to what we want to do anyways. And with God, we believe, ends up loathing the very people that we loathe. This brother loathed his younger brother. And I'm sure he would be convinced that God loathed him as well. This is the position of the Pharisees. The Pharisees have this contract worldview, the legalistic worldview, and they despise, they disdain these sinners, these inferior people who are destroying the family, destroying society. They're to blame for everything, not us, them. They loathe them, and they're perfectly confident that God loathes them too. God favors the Pharisees, of course, because they believe the right things and do all the right things, but God, they're sure, despises and disdains these lowlifes who hang around with Jesus, and therefore they despise Jesus too. He's not one of us. If you're not for us, you're against us. So he's one of them. This is a religion. All Religion, when it's invited into our bitterness, it's not a religion that could possibly pray the prayer of Jesus with his last breath on the cross, Father, forgive them. Father, invite them to the party. Find a way to get them in. No, this is a heart that says, give them their due. I want to see them fry. Give them their just desserts. It blows me away that you find throughout Christian church history, theologians like Aquinas and Tertullian and Augustine and others, saying that one of the joys of heaven will be watching the the damned and hell tormented. Like we're going to get our jollies from that. That's sick. But that is par for the course for for this mindset. They loathe the lowlifes. So Jesus hangs out with them, parties with them. That makes Jesus a lowlife. Here's the central point of this teaching. This elder son who despises his younger brother. And the parallel is this Pharisees who despise the prostitutes and the tax collectors and every other major judged sinner group in the world. This elder brother looks a lot better than the younger brother. He does. But in point of fact, he is just as sinful. He's just as lost. He just looks a lot better. Now, it doesn't look like he's is lost. Get, get in your mind, two screens. On the right is the younger brother. On the left is the elder brother. The younger brother, he goes to his father and says, Dad, I I wish you were dead. Give me my money now. Give me my due rights now, even though they're not due because he's getting more than what's his due, but he demands it. Then he goes out. You can imagine him going with these prostitutes, betting down with prostitutes, going to the bars and buying around for everybody. He squanders all of his money 
on riotous, crazy living, bringing shame to his family, ends up on a pig farm, which for a Jew would have been just the most despicable kind of employment you could get. He looks bad. What he did was evil, disgusting, vile. No question about that. The, younger, the older brother, well, look at him, gets up every morning, says, Father, what would you have me to do? Answers with, sir, yes, sir. Goes out and does it. Due diligence, never complains, never disobeys. Brings honor to the father, honor to the family. Who's the better? Who's closer to God? Who's going to get the kingdom? Or at least the fattened calf. Well, they, 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 they seem obvious. It seems obvious that if you're, if you're good, you're closer to God than if you're bad. I mean, we learned that, you know, from, from, from the get-go. If you believe the right things and do the right things, well, then, then you'll, you, you're closer to God. You'll, you'll get the, the inheritance. I remember as a little, little boy in Catholic school, we used to have this thing that drove the, the nuns crazy. Uh, I, I don't know if it was a Catholic thing or if it was a, a Protestant thing as well, but okay, second grade, you know, and you're not supposed to say any swear words, so we found a way to get around it. We'd go, he uh, hello, everybody. This is Johnny Cemetery. Remember this thing? If you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hello, everybody. This is Johnny Cemetery. If you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell, oh, everybody. Well, we were so clever. <laughs> and yet another ADD moment from Pastor Boyd. <laughs> But see, it's ingrained in us. Come on. It's ingrained. It's, it's, it's basic 101. God's like a cosmic Santa Claus. The better you are, the closer you are to him, and, and you're going to get your reward. And so the Pharisees are absolutely convinced of this. Obviously so. They would have been applauding the elder brother, the obedient one. We are the ones who are righteous, not them. We are the ones who are holy, not them. We are the ones that God likes, not them. We are pro-family. They are anti-family. We are pro-Israel. They are anti-Israel. We want to take the country back to God. They're the ones who are bringing judgment of God on Israel, and so on and so on and so on. If Jesus is going to hang out with them, well, then he's, he's just one of them. We are special to God because of, and now fill in the blank. We inherit the kingdom because of. We've earned it to somebody. God owes it. Why? Well, because we believe the right things. We do the right things. The parable takes that basic mindset, which is so common and not just in the first century, and turns it on its head. And actually, the elder brother is not only as lost as the younger brother, he's worse off. He's worse off. He doesn't have any more of a relationship to his father as a father than the younger son had. He doesn't relate to his father as a father. He relates to him as a slave master, a taskmaster, a boss. And you can see the distance between his heart and the father in, in the conversation they have. He says, this son of yours... He's saying, that's not my brother, and if you're his father, then you're not my father. He's just, he's, he stepped outside of the family. He doesn't have a family relationship here. And then it even gets worse when he says, all these years I've slaved for you. All these years. You can hear in that him saying, when are you going to die? I want you dead. And then I won't have to be slaving for you anymore. He wants his father dead just as much as the younger, as, as the younger brother did. He's, just, he's got the decency and the smarts not to say it out loud. The younger guy, he just says what's on his heart. This guy hides it really well. You can't relate to your father as a father if you think he's a slave master. You can't relate to your father as a father if, if, you're, if you think you're a slave. You can't relate to your father as a loving father if you're trying to earn the inheritance rather than just receiving it for free. This man's heart is just as far from the father as his younger brother. He, yeah, the younger brother went off to a distant country and showed how far his heart was for the father. This guy stuck around. His heart's just as far from the father, just as cold towards the father. He looks better, but in fact, he's actually worse because the younger brother has this one advantage. He was too dumb to cover up his evil. 
He, he, he just said what was there. He has the advantage of looking as bad as he is. At least there's congruity there, that honesty there. It was on the heart, so he said it. I want you dead. Give me my money. He did what was there. And that's an advantage because he could eventually come to the end of himself and see him, himself for what he was and then wake up, come to his senses as he did on the pig farm and make his way back and then finally relate to his father as a father and just receive by grace what the father wants to give him all along and allow the father to cover his shame with that robe of glory that we talked about last week and give him the family ring and put sandals on his feet and then throw a party like there was no tomorrow for him. The older brother, see, he looked better, but for that very reason, because he was so invested in looking better, he was actually worse off. He was so confident in the rightness and his, how he deserves this inheritance because of what he did that he had pride about it. He wasn't like that younger son. That's why he won't go into the party. And that puts him farther outside of the father's love than the younger son ever could be. The hardest thing in the world for God himself to penetrate, though he tries, he pleads, the hardest thing to penetrate is religious pride. I'm not like those people. That's the attitude of the Pharisees, and that's what this parable is directed towards. We're not like those lowlifes. No, we, we, we pray all the time. We tithe all the time. We go to church all the time. We stand for truth and righteousness. Jesus is saying, for that very reason, because you think that's why you're special before God, for that very reason, you're farther from the kingdom than the prostitutes and the tax collectors. What, that par what the parable shows is that there's two fundamentally different ways of sinning against the Father, of sinning against the Father's love. And the second way is worse, but it looks better. You can sin against the Father by falling into gross immorality and not caring about His will. Yes, that's sin. But you can also sin against the Father by putting your trust in your morality. And that one's worse. You can sin against the Father by running away from Him as a, a, a taskmaster. That's bad. But you can also sin against the Father by sting, sticking around and serving Him as a taskmaster. Because you're still not relating to him as a loving father. You can sin against the father by breaking the rules, but you can also sin by being so confident that you keep all the rules. You can sin against the father by your wild living, but even worse is to sin against the father by putting your confidence in your religious living, how you're not like the wild people. You can sin against the father by being bad, but you can also sin against the father by being so good and having that as your source of confidence. You can squander the father's wealth, and that's bad, but even worse is to try to earn the Father's wealth and think he owes it to you for that reason. That's why Jesus said things like this, Matthew 21. Truly I tell you, one of the most in-the-face verses in the in, in, in your face verses in the Bible. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Because the only way to enter the kingdom of God is to put aside all of your bragging rights, all of your because of, God favors us because of. And to come in, like the tax collector and prostitute, to come into the party on the same level playing field as the younger son. To put aside all judgment. All judgment. Now, you've got to be careful here. Someone brought this out after last night's message. Because you can come in as the younger brother, and you know that you have nothing to merit God's favor and love, and, and no bragging rights whatsoever, and you know better than anybody else. You can come in that way, but now, you, if you're not careful, you start looking at the elder brother and saying, how dare him? And you start judging him. You become an anti-Pharisee Pharisee. And the minute you do that, huh? the minute you do that, you've just gone from the status of younger brother to the elder brother. It doesn't matter what you're judging a person of. It could be their gross sin or it could be their religiosity. Both are inappropriate in the kingdom. This parable, as with the previous two parables, is Jesus' loving way of getting in the face 
of elder brother religious people. People who are confident in their standing before God because they're not like other people. And this is Jesus' way of inviting them into the party. There's a party. The party is the kingdom of God. But to enter into it, you can only do it one way, and that's the way of the younger brother. You can only do it for free and by grace. And as you can hear the the heart of God in his father as he's pleading with his son. He says, my son, you're not a slave, you're my son. That's not just my my son, that's your brother. You're on the inside of this family. See yourself as on the inside of this family. Don't see yourself as trying to earn it. No, no, I'm your father, you're my son, and that's what this is all about. You can hear him as he's pleading with his elder brother. Do you think that this is about... Or where'd you get the idea that this was about, about earning stuff, about, about who's got more, about who's getting what, who's better than who? This isn't a contest. This isn't a competition. This is about who gets the fatted calf versus the goat or, or who gets most of the inheritance. No, no, that's a different way of looking at the world than this. This is about family. This is about me as father. This is about you as son. And this is about celebrating that reality. That's the kingdom of God. We're all contests and all assessment and all evaluation and all judgments have ended. And now we just delight in the Father who delights in us. We delight in him as he's delighting over us. So the Father says, I'm with you always, I promise. And all that I have is yours, I promise. How then can you be worried about a stupid goat? It's all yours. You want a goat? They're all your goats. Have one every morning for all I care. Have a fatted calf for all I care. It's yours. Why are you trying to earn what I've already given you? And I've given you myself. This is the kingdom. And he invites him to come and celebrate this. See, the older brother sees this calf and this party as a reward because he sees everything in terms of reward and punishments. Contract worldview. The father's saying, this isn't a reward. I'm not rewarding him for leaving and, and, and coming back. This isn't a reward. It's, it's, it's not about that at all. This is about the fact that he's here and I'm his father and he's my son and now we're together. He was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. And that relationship that I get to love him and he gets to love me, that's what we're celebrating. We've got to celebrate. We have to celebrate. Because that's something we're celebrating. Will you come and join us and, and be part of this celebration? But to do that, you've got to give up this contest nonsense, this evaluation religious nonsense, this judgment nonsense. The kingdom of God is this eternal party. That's why all these parables end with a party. The kingdom of God is a party. It's the party of God, God, our Father, pouring himself out to us and giving us all that he has. And as we receive that and are transformed, we pour ourselves out back to him and give him all that we have. And that's the dance that is the kingdom of God. God has been the self-giving God of love throughout eternity. That's what God does. That's who he is, 1 John 4, 8. He is this love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's always been pouring himself out uh, in, in the triune community. And now God's just being himself towards us. Here's God being himself. He pours himself out on Calvary. And all that we have, is all that he has is now given to us. And now we receive that by grace. Because it's not about our earning it. It's about who he is, not us. And then we respond. We reciprocate in love by pouring ourselves out to him. And that dance will be going on throughout eternity. That's how we participate in the love of the triune God. That agape, other-oriented, self-sacrificial love. And in that, the whole job of life is learning this. That's where the joy is. That's where the life is. That's where the peace is. That's where the party is. When we get out of our self-absorption and learn how to live like that, live like Jesus, live like God, well, now we're dancing with God, and we'll be doing that throughout eternity. It's a party. But the end of this party, there's only one way. And it's got to be by grace. And it's got to be by humility. The only way to come into this thing is the way of the younger brother. And admit 
we've squandered it all, and now we let God just pour his, himself on us. Our confidence has got to be completely in God's love and grace and mercy towards us. Believe all the right things, that's good. Do all the right things, that's good. But don't put your confidence in that. And if you do put your confidence in that, you're always going to have this anxiety because maybe it's not enough. Ah, but to be free of that and to have all your trust and faith in the character of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The only way to come into this party is to let the Father run towards you and cover your shame in his righteousness and put the ring on your finger and sandals on your feet and throw a party. The only way to come into this is to be the lost sheep. Acknowledge that you're a lost sheep without him and let him find you. And acknowledge that you're the lost coin and let him find you. And enter in by sheer grace. But to do that, we've got to set aside all of our judgment, all of our religion, all of our self-righteousness, all of our comparisons, and put ourselves on the same playing field because it's not about a contest. It's not about us at all. It's about the character of God. So the question I want to end with is this. In fact, would you close your eyes for a moment? Holy Spirit, help us to get honest here and real here for this next hundred seconds. Is there anybody on this planet that if they were at a party you don't want to go to, you don't want to go to that party. Think about this. So a man told me several years ago after a message, came up with a religious spirit and just said, you know what, if there's any chance that Osama bin Laden is going to be forgiven in heaven, then I choose to be in hell. You don't want to be there. Now, is there somebody that you have trouble extending God's grace towards? And if there's a party thrown for them, there's a part of you that is like the older brother says, I don't want to go there. Because you're better than that. Pay attention to this. Holy Spirit, help us to see what we need to see. Will you, if you see that there's this person, envision them, and there's a party being thrown for them, despite all that they've done, there's a party being thrown for them. It's also a party for you, equally. But not because you're not like them. It's because God is that kind of a God. Are you okay with that? Can you go and celebrate? Can you have the heart of Jesus on the cross who says, Father, forgive them? Do you hope that they'll be in heaven and in the kingdom with you? Can you see yourself celebrating with them? And that that's a beautiful thing. If there's any part of you that resists that, I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to humble you, to let that go. Because that's the one thing that keeps us outside the Father's love. Can you ask the Holy Spirit to show you the truth that there is nothing in you that warrants, earns, merits this love and this kingdom? It's not owed to you. You're not special to God because of things. You're just special to God because God is God. And he is your Father. Holy Spirit, humble us. Humble us to come in and thou finally see the beauty of your sheer undeserved grace and love. And Lord, make, us, make that our sole source of confidence. We thank you, God, for every right thing we believe and, and for putting in us a spirit that wants to follow your ways and work for your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. But God, we don't want to put our trust in that. No, our trust is in you, in you, and only in you. And help us to celebrate, Lord, as we pour ourselves out to you in response to you pouring yourself out to us. Help us to celebrate and to celebrate every other person, including elder brothers who maybe used to despise us, including people that do us harm and say bad things about us. Help us, Lord, to wish for their entrance into the kingdom as well. Help us to have a heart that wants to celebrate with them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. 
Uh, hey, two things here. One is we've got, as always, assignments out back uh, for you to pick up at the gathering area just to chew on this. This is stuff you've got to digest throughout the week. I encourage you to pick up. It's got some exercises there. Uh, also, we'll have our prayer teams up here. And if you have any need whatsoever you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come forward and receive prayer for that. God bless you guys. Go out and be loved and loved on others in Jesus' name. Amen.